The title of the sermon today is Providence, Not Luck, Providence, Not Luck, and the text is this passage from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. I suspect that you, like most people during this season of pandemic, have found yourselves cutting back. I talked to somebody the other day. They said that since the coronavirus pandemic began, they have not eaten out not once. Not to go out to a restaurant, not to go out and pick up food from a restaurant, and to bring it back to their home. They are instead cooking all of their meals at home. I know that for a lot of you, you've decided not to take a vacation this summer. You're not going to some exotic destination or some major metropolitan city, but instead you're doing creative things like having picnics and camping out in your backyard or maybe visiting the local park. Uh, studies and research is showing that people are actually using their credit cards less during these days of pandemic. Unless, of course, you find a pallet of hand sanitizer and toilet paper, at which point you would quickly pull out your card and place it in the card uh, slot for a swipe. Um, I don't know about you, but we're making lots of different changes in our lives and we're cutting back in so many different ways. And yet there's at least one way that people aren't cutting back during these days of pandemic. And, and that way is they're not cutting back on trying to strike it rich. And no, I'm not talking about a Zoom meeting with your local banker or consulting your financial advisor over the phone for a bit of advice. I'm talking about going to twice daily and stacking up on lottery cards. Yes, more and more people are gambling during these days of the pandemic. According to an Associated Press article from a few weeks ago by a man written, uh, named Tony Gutierrez, this year 75% is how much gambling is up during this time this year as opposed to what it was last year at this same time. There are uh, a lot of studies out there that suggest that people took the stimulus checks that we receive from the federal government and instead of putting food on the table for their families or instead of buying something that they really, really needed, they instead went and bought lottery tickets. And David Just of Cornell University says that he's not surprised at all by this trend. He says that when you and I, people like us, lose something, we become much more willing to take risks in, store, in, in hopes of gaining that that we've lost back. And so he's not surprised at all that during this time when so many millions of people have been suffering and have lost something, that they would take money, even money from a federal stimulus program, and use it to buy tickets to try to win the lottery. Now, I don't know if you've been doing that or not. Uh, you may or may not know that the official United Methodist position on gambling is that it is a menace to society, that it uh, is a particular threat to the poorest of the poor and is often an exploitation of the poor. But yet I know some of you have shared with me before that you have played the lottery from time to time. And I'll confess to you, I played it one time. And I played it because... 
God told me to. I'm serious. I had a dream one night, and in this dream, God, it was the voice of God, as clear as any voice I've ever heard, gave me the numbers for the Powerball and told me to go and play the lottery. Well, the next morning I woke up dismissing the idea because I'm not a big fan of the lottery, never played the lottery, but sharing with a friend uh, what my dream was. He said, well, Tommy, what if God wanted you to play those numbers in the lottery and win the lottery and then have a spirit of generosity in helping people all over the world? And eventually I decided to go and play the lottery. Well, that Saturday night, I pulled out my little lottery ticket, and I listened as the numbers were revealed on the television screen, and I didn't get a single number right. And I thought, that wasn't the voice of God at all. My friend asked me about it later, Tommy, what did you do? Did you play the lottery? I said, yes, I did. I didn't get a single number right. It was clearly not the voice of God. And my friend said, well, when God gave you the numbers, did God tell you what day to play them on? And I said, no. And he said, well, you got to keep playing. Well, I didn't. Maybe my luck would have been better if I had consulted luckology.com. It's actually a website, luckology.com. And the owner of the website says that if you want to win things like lotteries, you've got to have the right belief and the right attitude and a lucky squirrel charm for $24.95 available on luckology.com. He insists that since he came across this squirrel charm, and it's so that you can squirrel away your winnings like a squirrel stores away food for the winter, that he has won all sorts of money and prizes, and he'd like to share that with me and you. Now, I don't know if you believe that about squirrel charms and the right belief and the right attitude that somehow that would make you luckier. I suspect that you're skeptical like I am. And yet, since the very beginning of time, people have been trying to change their luck. I mean, pantheistic religions were all about there are all these gods over all of these things and if somehow you could just do the right thing you could actually manipulate one of those gods to do something favorable to you so since the very beginning of time people have trying to change their luck by manipulating the powers that be by doing something or not doing something just in the hopes that they would win Well, certainly Abraham could have considered himself a lucky guy. As we talked about last week, Abraham was just doing his thing, living his life and minding his own business. When all of a sudden it appears as if God just sort of randomly selects Abraham out of all the people of Mesopotamia. And he goes to Abraham and he lets Abraham know that you're about to win the Jehovah jackpot. I mean, you are about to become a great person. Your name is going to be great. There's going to be a nation that comes after you that's great. I'm going to bless everybody who blesses you. And I'm going to curse everybody who curses you. And even though you and your wife are well beyond the age where you should be able to have children, I am going to make sure that you have a child. I bet you Abraham is thinking, wow, maybe I am luckiest guy in the world 
And yet what God is about to show Abraham is that this has absolutely nothing to do with luck. What is happening to Abraham. Instead, first and foremost, it has everything to do with God's providence. God's provision. God's trustworthiness. God's uh, our ability to rely on God. It's about Abraham learning to be uh, radically uh, dependent upon God because God does provide, because God is so trustworthy, because we can rely on God. It's about Abraham learning this radical dependence and then that makes him want to be obedient to God even more. There's nothing that feels lucky to Abraham in what happens in our scripture lesson this morning. It is gut-wrenching to read. It is almost beyond my ability to comprehend that such a command could be attributed to God. And yet, it happens. It's in the scripture. You might recall that Abraham has already lost one son. His wife, Sarah, doesn't want uh, his firstborn son, Ishmael, anywhere around. And that's because Ishmael is not Sarah's son, but is in fact the son of her servant, Hagar. And so she demands that Abraham send Ishmael and Hagar away. And Abraham has lost a son. Now in our scripture lesson this morning, Abraham is being asked to take his lone remaining son and to go and to offer him as a burnt offering sacrifice to God. There's nothing that feels lucky about what he's going through. We're not told what Abraham is thinking. We're not told what's going through his mind at all. But what we are told is without flinching, he goes and is obedient and does what God tells him to do. I suspect that he's wondering in his heart as he's doing this, has his luck finally run out? But he goes. And we're told that he has to go a three-day journey to the place where God would show him, a place called Moriah. It occurred to me as I was reading the text this week for the first time, I think, ever, that this three days is important for us to notice. It took Abraham three days from the time that the command was given to him to take his son Isaac and go offer him as a sacrifice to arrive there. That's three days for Abraham to rethink his decision. Should I really go through with this? Uh, what is about to happen? Do I really trust God enough to be willing to, to be obedient to what God is calling me to do? Can I try to rationalize with God, maybe like I did when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and I was able to get God to, to lessen the punishment if there were less people uh, there in Sodom and Gomorrah who were sinning actively against God. There's all sorts of things I suspect that was going through Abraham's mind for those three days. But one thing we can say for sure is by the time that Abraham gets to the mountain and he's willing to do what God has commanded him to do, it is less a reaction to God and it is more a decision for God that Abraham does what he does. He's willing to put everything on the line 
because he's spent a lot of time with this God. He's learned a lot about this God. He has been uh, assured over and over that God provides. He has been able to grow in his trust in God and his reliance on God and his dependence on God. And so Abraham is willing to do what God has asked of him. Not because he's reacting, but because he has decided that this God can be trusted to provide. I love the way how Isaac just all of a sudden asked a question. Hey, Dad, uh, where's the, the animal for the uh, sacrifice that we're going for? And it's another opportunity for Abraham to say to his son, the Lord will provide. I wonder if Isaac has just seen so much about how his father honors and loves God and trusts God and relies on God and seeks to live in obedience to God. I wonder if Isaac has just been taught from the time he was old enough to understand any words at all that the Lord always provides. It's, it's a reminder of me that how we as adults have such a profound impact on children I wonder if Isaac saw those qualities of his father uh, about his relationship with God. And, and that's why there's no evidence here that, a, that Isaac resisted at all when it came time for the sacrifice to be made. He had witnessed his dad's trust and he had knew from his dad's teachings that the Lord provides, that we can rely on God and that we can depend on God to provide. Still, Isaac is forced to get on to that uh, altar. And maybe as the knife is up in the air, God quickly and decisively tells Abraham to stop. That this was a test. And then God proves once again to Abraham that God will provide. You see, I don't think that God ever intended Abraham to murder his son on the altar that day. It was a test. And as Nancy said, tests are given for no other reason that someone wants to make sure that we have learned what it is absolutely essential for us to know and learn. Some of us don't like the idea of a God who tests. Oh, we want a God who provides. Don't get me wrong. We want a God who provides, just not one who tests. We don't like tests. There are others of us who are bitter and resentful and angry at the whole wide world. So we love a God who tests as long as it's everybody else. Um, but we really don't want God to provide to everybody else. And then there are those of us who don't like a God who either tests or provides. And that's because we don't want to have to answer to anybody else. We want to do what we want to do. And we don't want to have to rely on anybody else either because we only want to rely on ourselves. These have been difficult days during this pandemic. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I've just felt like for me personally that this has been a test. It's a test to make sure that I've really learned what it is that I need to know about God and what God expects of me in the way I live out my faith here on earth. 
It's a way for me to test whether or not all of the things that I've preached about for all of these years, if I really, truly believe them in my heart. It is a test to see whether I truly believe that God provides, that God can be trusted, that we can rely on God, and that I am truly and ultimately dependent upon God for every breath and for every move that I make. It hasn't been easy for any of us, but I am trusting God, and it has nothing to do with luck hoping that I will somehow manipulate God in a way that would favor me. I'm seeking to trust God because I believe that God provides, that God is trustworthy, that I can depend radically upon God.